In a couple of years, when I look back in 2020 uh, and try to find something positive, I think that it's going to be one of those things that I have to really concentrate and think hard about. Uh, I can start and say I launched a podcast. That's positive. But there have been a lot of tragedies this year. And uh, most recently, uh, the loss of Chadwick Boseman, uh, the Black Panther, along with so many other amazing performances, um, passed away. Uh, and, you know, I think that that was a difficult, difficult um, experience for me and for a lot of people because growing up in the 90s, growing up in the early 2000s, you did not have a lot of representation. And I remember two years ago uh, and just going to the theater with my cousin and experiencing that movie as an adult and how empowering that was um, to be able to see something that you would have never imagined in your wildest dreams, right? Like Wakanda, all these these superheroes and just, you know, just magnificence everywhere. You you just never you never would have imagined something like that 10, 15, 20 years ago and and we were able to experience that and we were able to experience Chadwick and you know, he was a Howard University graduate and just you know, there are so many special stories that I've read and heard about him in the last few weeks. But one thing that I will always say is timing is so important. And I am really, really thankful and grateful that today's episode, you are going to be able to listen to a conversation that I had with Taryn Finley. Uh, Taryn Finley is the editor of HuffPost Black Voices, and she's also a Howard grad, and she is someone who lives and breathes blackness, black culture, black everything. And so um, this is a really special episode for me. Uh, This is an episode that... um, you know, I get to do with someone who's very special. Uh, and Taryn knows I love her and appreciate her. And this is the Black Stage. Enjoy. So Taryn Finley, I am super excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, for everyone who uh, is joining us, T- Taryn is a really, really good friend of mine. Uh, go all the way back to Howard, to Columbia, to uh, the journalist scene here in New York City. Uh, you know, she is such a huge, huge supporter uh, of my work, and I'm a huge supporter of her work, more so a fan, a uh, longtime uh you know, fan and will continue to fan out every time I get a chance to just get a uh, ounce of her time. Um, so she has humbly blessed us uh, today to kind of talk about her journey and the importance of amplifying Black voices. Taryn, hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me on and thank you for that like really warm introduction. Um, likewise, I'm a fan of yours, B. Like I want you to toot your own horn too because you are all that bag of chips. Oh, on the pie. <laughs> yeah, sure. I appreciate you. But this is about you. We'll, we'll have another time when we could, we could, it could be about me. But, but right now, it's all about you, too. And, you know, honestly, you know, there are so many people um, that, you know, want to get in media in various different capacities. And the way that you are able to do your work is extraordinary. But I want us to start from the beginning. What brought you into the work uh, of journalism? Um, can you talk to me about that? 
Yeah, I was just a nosy little girl, you know, and just like any nosy little black girl, my mom used to call me Oprah, little baby Oprah. I feel like a lot of black girls, especially a lot of black women who are in journalism now have a similar story where, you know, they were inquisitive, curious about the world around them, eager to to learn. And that was very much my story, you know, always in grown folks business always asking questions, always trying to poke holes through things and, and figure out the why. And that's really where it started. You know, my mom kind of put that seed into, into my head of baby Oprah. And so I not only started paying attention to her, but also, you know, other Black women who were, you know, telling these stories in, in, in several different capacities and I realized how much of a knack that I I had for just like getting people to open up, even at a at a young age. Um, and I also really loved writing. I think just the art of storytelling has always been something that I've been passionate about. Um, as far as telling black stories, that is something that was just very second nature and very organic for me. Like it wasn't even a thought of what other stories I'd tell. Um, I knew that this was my experience. I knew that these were stories that, you know, being a little girl, my my parents raised me in a very, a very like Afrocentric leaning way when it came to history, um, social studies, etc. So having already that worldview at a young age, I didn't, it didn't even dawn on me to like tell other stories because these were the stories that I knew needed to be told and the stories that were um, important to me and reflective of my experience. You know, I think that there's something in the water uh, when it comes to going to a historically black college or university. Uh, and, you know, we both share that experience of going to a black college. And can you talk to me about what Howard did for you as a writer, as a creative, and how it kind of like propelled you into a space to, to do your work in now? Man, Howard is such a blessing, isn't it? not just creatively, but just like holistically, right? I remember, I'm from Ohio originally, so my view of what Blackness was, was very limited because of, you know, Dayton, Ohio, like so many other cities, especially like Midwest cities, um, is segregated, it's super segregated. So my view of Blackness was very just like American Black. You know, I thought that it was, you know, I didn't necessarily, think that we weren't expansive, but I, I did think that it was just this one thing. And so when I stepped on Howard's campus and saw the diversity, one thing that a lot of people don't understand is how diverse HBCU campuses are. And Howard is, you get a, you get a global experience. You mm -hmm. really get a global experience. And I just remember as a freshman, seeing all the, all the flags on the Caribbean tree, seeing you know and hearing the different dialects the different flavors of blackness uh, meeting people for the first time who you know came from different different countries different backgrounds different origins than what i was used to it was so 
eye-opening. And it was like culture shock almost, not in a bad way, not in a bad way at all, but in a way that felt almost like a rebirth for me. Wow. You know, I, w- I started to, I, I really believe that Howard raised me in a way and and because of that, because Howard is a part of the village that raised Taryn, I was able to to strengthen some perspectives that I had about not only my experience and what what I knew to be true of blackness, but also how I wanted to contribute and and give my my talents to the world you know i felt very unapologetic in telling these stories especially because like when you go to a hbcu that those those years like your tenure on that campus is just so special and it feels so liberating and i really feel like i became the person that I am now because of Howard. Mm. And I'm I'm just super thankful for that because it it really did expand my view of blackness, really strengthen my my creativity and it fostered a, a greater sense of community among not only like my classmates who I'm literally like still friends with today, like my best friends ever in life are are, you know, they're from Howard. They're from Howard, you know, we just kicked it this past weekend in a very socially distant, you know, safe <laughs> But Even the professors, just that not having to second guess myself and not having to underestimate my talents and, and where I could go and where I could take them in life. I, I really owe a big part of that to Howard. Mm. You know, I, I definitely identify in that, you know, I remember in some of my classes, I can look to the right and there will be students from Africa and look to the left and there's students from the West Indies and look, you know, across from me and, and, and there'll be people from the States and every corner of the state, you know, like, I didn't know there were black people in Idaho, but they are here and they are at Howard. And, and, you know, I think that that's, there's something about being able to see yourself in a way that you had never been able that you were ever able to to see yourself before. And I think that that's what historically black colleges and universities continuously do. And it also, you know, strengthens us to prepare for the real world and make making sure that we know who we are or we're beginning the journey of like, you know, uncovering that because you're always learning new things about yourself and you're always growing. But I think that, you know, you are going to get a culture shock when you leave Howard, you know, and that's something that I, that I know that happened to you because, you know, I know Howard strengthened you and pushed you all the way up to the big apple of New York city, but there you were, you know, getting a master's at an Ivy league institution that was very, very white. Um, and uh, for all those who don't know Taryn's journey, uh, Taryn got a master's at Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism, the best journalism school of the in the country. So you know, just want to put that out there. Um, but you know, it, it it says something about you and the strength of, of who you are as a woman, as a black woman, um, and the work that led up to it, right? Because again, like you worked really hard to just work really hard, and you know, you've been at HuffPost Black Voices for the last five years and you worked your way up and now you have the, the head editor uh, role of such an important vertical. 
Um, and can you just talk to me a little bit about your work? And if you want to kind of start, you know, what brought you into the door at HuffPost and then like how you climbed up and then, you know, talk to me about some of the work that you do on a day to day basis. I'd love to, to engage you in that way. Yeah, surprisingly, I actually got my start at HuffPost through a career fair at Columbia, the journalism career fair. I remember folks, professors and advisors telling us like, you know, don't bank on, you know, a job or whatever at the career fair. But luckily I was, I, I guess I stood out to HuffPost. Um, and it was really interesting because I, I had applied for um, HuffPost while I was at Howard and I, after I graduate, after I graduated from Howard and yeah, they didn't give me a call back the time of day or whatever. It's interesting what, it's interesting what certain schools on your resume would do for you. Um, and I'll just leave that there. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I started out as um, a fellow um, under uh, Lily Workner at Black Voices, such an amazing, you know, time at HuffPost, a very different time as well, because, you know, at that time, Black Voices was a proper team. And as the years went by, you know, we went under new leadership and all of that, you know, that kind of changed. I remember, you know, starting HuffPost and out the gate, the week that I started was, um, I believe three days, three or four days after, three days after actually, um, was the massacre at Mother Emanuel, where uh, Dylan Ruth shot um, and killed um, nine um, worshipers we just prayed with. And I remember being gutted. And I remember not only being gutted and, and heartbroken and just filled with immense pain, I was also filled with adrenaline. Um, and a great responsibility. I knew that even though I didn't know necessarily the content management system at the time, I was still very much, you know, at the beginning of that learning curve, um, I knew that I needed to really dive into that story in a way that made sense. And in, in a way that felt as if I was contributing to to a piece of America's really dark, long history. So um, the reporting I did there was about the actual like history of terrorism on the black church um, through a, a data visualization piece. And I just remember being really, really proud that I was able to to take that on, but also feeling really still very heavy and still very um, unsure of where journalism was at that time and where my place was. I wasn't able to really compartmentalize and understand the gravity of, of that time. Because when I first started Columbia, I remember that week, um, that was the week that um, that Michael Brown was killed. So I feel like every time I start something new, something very consequential happens. But I don't think that's by coincidence. I think that I'm, what I was able to do 
similarly with um, when I started Columbia, what I was able to do at HuffPost was really set a foundation for what I would go on to accomplish the stories that I would go on to report. And it set me up to, like you said, you know, getting that, that role as Black Voices editor. And unfortunately, it's not as um, the setup isn't as it was when I started, you know, uh, we aren't a, a proper quote unquote team anymore, but we still have that, that team um, spirit, if I want to, if I want to be a little corny with it, because it's, it's, it's really collaborative, you know, still, you know, Brennan, I, I remember when, when you were there and you help contribute to that spirit and in, in keeping and making sure that these stories, despite the fact that, you know, we had, uh, you know, less bandwidth, and, and maybe less support, um, or let me not even say less support, um, support that looked different. Mm -hmm. Even though we, we, we didn't necessarily have all the bells and whistles, you know, we did what black people do and we made a way out of no way, you know, we, that, because that's what we do. You know, we, we have this long history of being resilient, of making sure that our voices are heard, of, of empowering ourselves when no one around us is empowering us. And I'm really grateful to have, you know, people like yourself, um, Jahan Jones, uh, Kim Richards, uh, Aaron Evans, Shaquille Rombley, but like so many people, like there have been so many people within the HuffPost newsroom that have really ensure that we hold on to that responsibility, that legacy, and and make sure that we don't let our audience down. And I'm just super grateful for that, you know? You know, I definitely hear you when you say, you know, making a way out of no way, right? Because that is the history of, of Black people in this country, continuously making a way out of no way. You know, one of the things that has been very rewarding is seeing you continuously climb and continuously um, be awarded because you are an award winning journalist uh, of all the things that you, you know, have contributed to the space. Um, and I think that there is a, a tide turning of how reporting is done and who is reporting those stories. You know, I think about the 1619 project that came out last year, such a huge, huge um, impact on uh, American culture as well as globally. Um, but we probably would have never seen something like that 20 years ago, you know, maybe not even five years ago. Um, but here we are, right? And I think that it's people like you trailblazing it and making that space and making those voices heard and telling those stories, especially when they're painful, right? And, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely difficult to meet a hard moment. You know, you mentioned Dylan Roof and you mentioned, um, you know, Michael Brown, very traumatic and difficult stories to engage with on a professional and personal note, right? Because like personally you're hurting because you you see your cousin, you see your auntie, you see your mother, you see somebody who reflects 
this um, this individual who has been killed um, or has been hurt in some type of way, but yet you still got to keep going. You still got to push through. And, um, you know, for better or for worse, you know, you pushing through Taryn has um, impacted the lives of so, so many people. Um, you know, at one point, I believe Black Voices was the number two most read Black vertical or Black news outlet in the world. And I think that was behind BET. So you're telling me a team of three a team of three was able to make the top black news site in the world behind BET that has millions of dollars and a whole entire multiple floors of people and uh, a whole TV stand, you know, channel. You know what I mean? Like there's no black voices channel, but you all made that thing happen. Um, and that can't go unnoticed or uncelebrated. I think um, when we think about, uh, you know, because I, I, I have a fun time on Twitter. You know, I get to see all the things that people say. You have extraordinary commentary. For all those who don't follow uh, Taryn, you need to. I believe it's underscore Taryn it up. Um, and, you know, Taryn is great with commentary when it, it comes to all things Black. So BT Awards, she's there. You know, if there's a, a Insecure Sundays, she's there. <laughs> um, and she's going to bring the, the commentary. But then also when the injustices happen, you're there too and you're speaking out on that. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how you stay balanced as a Black female reporter, especially in the age of Breonna Taylor, when we're consistently talking about the, the killing of this Black woman um, and having to like actually continuously advocate um, for the relevance of her story and um, the consistency, consistency of the narrative? Um, because, you know, I was just actually you know, reading or watching something today. And there's just so many inconsistencies. And there, it almost feels like people are trying to say, like, you know, she deserved to die almost. And I'm just like, you know, where, where, where are we at as a society? Who are we as a people, you know, collectively? Um, so can you speak to that a little bit, please? Yeah, um, I'll, take this, I'll take this question in two directions. I'll take it professionally and personally. Um, professionally, I'm staying balanced and specifically with that story by knowing that Breonna Taylor is not a meme. Breonna Taylor did not deserve to die. Breonna Taylor was doing what all of us do at night, lay down and go to bed when her life was taken. And it is wholly unfair the way that not only with Breonna Taylor, but I saw it happen with Sandra Bland. I saw it happen with Corinne Gaines. I saw it happen with so many Black women who have um, have died in police custody um, or by police uh, encounters. And it is a huge metaphor for how America, how this world treats Black women in general. So I stay balanced by understanding that that is my reality, you know? And I know that I, the way that I would want my story to be told and the way that I would want a journalist or you know, documentarian, whoever, to pursue my story um, if unfortunately such a huge, vast injustice happens to me or to one of my loved ones, 
I know that she, them, they, they are human. They are human first and foremost. And there's a dehumanization that happens when it comes to specifically Black women's pain that all of us, all of us partake in. And so understanding that and understanding facts, understanding history is really important in, in keeping balance when it comes to these stories um, uh, of trauma and, and, and of our pain. And personally, I, I'm still trying to figure out how to, how to maintain balance, you know, because you're covering these stories. And like you said, there is no disassociation. There's none at all. I recall I was at a screening for um, when they see us, the story of Exonerated Five. And, um, you know, there were uh, black journalists there, but there were mostly white journalists who were invited, um, which isn't a surprise. And I recall they had, so we watched literally the entire series in one, one sitting. They had a, a break point. It was heavy, it was so heavy. At a break point in the middle um, in which they allowed us to like go get lunch or whatever. They provided lunch for us. Um, so we were sitting there eating. I remember, and this is probably a testament to de facto segregation. Half of the table was black journalists and the other half was white journalists. And the white journalists were so chatty. They were just very, you know, very talkative and they, you know, they, they mentioned what we had just seen a bit, but, you know, they were talking about the lunch. They were talking about weekend plans. On the other half of the table was us, silent, somber, could barely eat, didn't want to touch our food, feeling so, so heavy. And it wasn't lost upon me those two worlds that I existed in, in that exact room. And that's never lost on me in just operating through this industry. And so- I think, that, I think that's working at while well, black, period. 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 But in specific to this situation, I hear you, but I think that is just across the board. Yeah. Um, yeah, continue, I'm sorry, Terry, didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. I just meant to say that to you. Yeah, it's, it's heavy. So like, I guess, long story short, a lot of therapy, a lot of group chats, a lot of leaning on my friends, my loved ones, family, and it really just leaning on community. Community is what keeps me balanced personally because this world is full of imbalance. <sighs> you know, honestly, to, to be quite honest with you, I still haven't seen When They See Us because I just can't uh, mentally and emotionally get myself there. Um, you know, I'm very familiar with that story. And, you know, it's so interesting because I, I live by Central Park and I remember I was going for a run and I ran into the set where Ava Durvenay was actually filming the Central Park scene. And I didn't know what was happening. It was completely pitch black. I couldn't really see anything. I'm the guy who runs in Central Park at night. Not a good thing to do, but you know, I did it that night. And um, 
you know, I, I went over to somebody, a, P, a PA production assistant, and I was like, hey, what's, what's going on? What's happening? They're like, oh, this, there, there's a movie being filmed. And I said, oh, what movie? And they were like, oh, Ava DuVernay. You know, and I was like, is Ava here? And I said in real life, she's like, no, she's not here. Like, I was like, okay, I blew my chance of saying hello. So I went back home and I clicked on uh, her Instagram story. And of course, it ended up being her birthday. And like, you see like little firecrackers at night in Central Park and they're all wishing and singing her happy birthday. And I was like, that on it, she was there, yeah. um, you know, but, but what didn't, what, but what did resonate with me is I was like, I am here, I am black man, you know, running in Central Park, the same trail that they're running in on where they're filming this movie of like this injustice that happened to these children. And I, you know, I, it, it still sticks with me and I still haven't got my, and one day I hope that I can get myself to watch it um, and engage with it um, the, in the way that you did. And hopefully I can, you know, make sense of it all. But, you know, clearly it still to this day doesn't make sense. Um, I want to talk to you about um, black creativity. Um, I want to talk to you about what it means to be a content creator in this time where I really do believe, you know, in a lot of ways, because, you know, you know, we always talk about like, you know, the, the, the reimagining of the Harlem Renaissance and, you know, even still being in the house, I'm seeing so many innovative and creative things that are happening that black people specifically are, are doing, whether they be, you know, it, you know, at a, a media organization or just like within their own platforms. Um, you know, can you talk to me about the joy of, of being a black creative? Man, once again, we're just making a way out of no way. We really are. Because think about it. At a time like this when, you know, especially especially kind of like earlier in, in quarantine, when we don't know what's going on, there is this virus that's disproportionately impacting us. You know, there is limited education, limited resources in our communities. And so many of us are losing jobs, losing opportunities. You know, a, a lot is being robbed of us at this time. Meanwhile, we turn around, we're still getting killed in the streets. The same ills that racism, um, you know, uh, cast across this country, across this world, they, they haven't stopped because of coronavirus. You know, they've gotten a lot worse in, in some regards. And so to look and see so many black creatives doing a damn thing. And you, you have people like, like Mark Clinton, you know, going out there and, and just doing the most dope photography and, 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 and really telling our stories on that level, you have people like Sylvia O'Fell and, and Scotty Beam launching a, um, a uh, an entire podcast with Netflix. Um, you know, during this or during this pandemic, you have Jasmine uh, Jasmine Lawson, who's also at Netflix, bringing us so much joy by working to get the rights. To Ooh. our favorite, yeah, UPN on Netflix. <laughs> like you literally have UPN on Netflix. Like this is what we've been asking for, and so many people whose you know names are are escaping me right now because there are just so many, so many to choose from. Black people are showing out right now, whether it be showing out with in regards to their creativity 
when it comes to social justice or just like pop culture or like art specifically, like there's just so much content that we're creating and it really does feel like a, a renaissance, right? And, and, you know, I feel like there's a reason for that right now. Once, once again, I say history repeats itself, just like the horrible shit in history repeats itself. So does the magnificent brilliance of history repeats itself. This does feel very Harlem Renaissance on the hundredth year anniversary the centennial of the of the Harlem Renaissance and, and it's it's widespread and it's 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 not limited to a geographical location. There are people across this country who I'm seeing really show out in the name of blackness and not be confined and not be, you know, uh, limited. Um, and a lot of them are doing so independently. A lot of people, a lot of black creatives now are understanding their worth. There are reckonings happening where they're like, look, either go, you're going to pay us, you're going to make sure that we have equity, you're going to treat us right, you're going to make sure that our voices are heard, etc. Like, it is amazing to see. It is amazing to be a part of. And I just feel so much joy from it. I think the thing that gives me the most optimism especially right now, is the fact that Black people, we're never going to lose our resilience. We're never going to, you know, lose that, that, that will to fight as long as we lean on community, you know. It, it, it may be another story when you're at home, alone, in your room, pandemic is out, you can't go out and, and do the things that you want to do life is hitting you in other ways and it, it may feel it may feel like there is no hope at all when you are alone but when there is a community that wraps its arms around you even virtually that can feel like everything that can really feel like everything especially like for a person like me who like does have depression you know so Black creativity, man, it's, it, it is probably what is bringing me the most joy right now from the, the smallest scale to the, to the largest. Oh, man, you're, gonna, you're, trying to make, you're trying to break me. You're trying to break me, Taryn. <laughs> you're trying to break I'm me. Break I'm, I'm, I'm not crying. I'm not crying on this podcast with you. I'm not doing it. No, no, if you no. Do, it's okay. Look, it's, gonna, I've seen it. It's, there are so many tears that I feel like we all have been fighting back. We've earned these tears, right? We've no. earned them. We can cry. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. So, so look, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I usually end this podcast with asking, you know, um, each individual, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, but what I really believe about you, Taryn, is that you are someone who is building a table for everyone to sit at. And I really am interested in when someone comes to sit at your table, the table that you are giving a seat to, right? A seat at your table, Taryn. Um, what do you want them to say when they sit down? It's our table. This is our table. I Look when they come and sit at our table, I want them 
to feel empowered to tell their story. I think one thing that I've especially um, realized and, and loved and what's kept me in this industry is how many people who haven't had the chance to tell their story and who are, they don't even realize how badly they they want and need to tell their story. They don't realize how therapeutic it is because no one's ever sat to listen to their story. No one's ever really paid attention or given a damn. And I wanna make sure that for this table that we're building because I, it's, it's, it's collective, it's a community effort. I want the folks who decide to join that table to tell their story and tell it unapologetically, tell it with nuance. Like, don't, don't be afraid to, to bring your perspectives. Don't be afraid to, to, to really say what's on your mind. Don't bite your tongue because of what you think or what you feel may be, you know, uh, perceived as problematic or whatever. We're here to help grow. We're here to help learn. We're here to, to help develop because if we don't get, if we don't, ensure that everyone's voices are heard and everyone has a fair shot of learning and growing and developing and really utilizing their voice because the voice is such a powerful tool like it's such an amazing tool if we don't make sure that everyone at their ta at that table has found their voice and feels empowered to to stand on the rooftops and, and shout and, and, and be proud and stand in that, no matter how much of a work in progress it is, then I feel like it ain't worth having a table. Mm. Saren, I love you. I love you too. Thank you for joining the Black Stage Podcast. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. Thank you for such a really great, insightful interview.